growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel and the tribulation period begins. That'll just show, well, God's right on time and I've got exactly seven years. I better keep on trying to reach as many people as I can. It's going to be a terrible time. Not going to be a lot of fun, but we've got seven years till Jesus comes back. Do you happen to know what was the last song ever recorded by the Beatles? Well, ironically, it was a song entitled The End. To borrow from another of their songs, theirs was a long and winding road. Also, ironically, the last single they ever released. Well, today we come to the end of our series entitled Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. And as it happens, the material we're covering concerns the events that take place at the end. It is a seven-year period of time that will take place at the end of time, just before the return of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Like that most famous of bands from the 1960s, we too have been on a long and winding road. We started out our journey through the book of Daniel at the beginning of this year, and now, over nine months later, Pastor Clay is taking us today through the last chapter of the book of Daniel. We've seen Daniel and his friends' unshakable faith in their God, and we've learned that we can and should have that same kind of faith for the adversity that we face in our lives. We've also seen time and time again God's unbreakable promises. Promises to be with His people and promises to direct the course of human history to the conclusion that God long ago determined. As Pastor Clay has said during this series, history is really His story. Thanks for joining us for today's final installment of Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. are in the last week of Daniel. I was thinking this morning, I was telling some of the guys out there that this, I thought of this this morning, I thought, man, why didn't I think of that sooner? I wish I had looked up uh, the guitar chords for, uh, for Elton John's song, Daniel. I could have come up with a little, little uh, ending thing about uh, the prophet Daniel and, and to wind this thing up, because Ivy was asking me, do you ever, do you do anything special when you finish a series? And um, so probably the most special thing I do is end it, right? So it's been... <laughs> It's been, it's been a long time. It's been a lot. We started the first of the year in Daniel. It's actually not the longest series we've ever done. If, if, if you've not been, we spent a, a little over a year in Revelation. Uh, but I think Daniel has been harder uh, because Revelation, uh, it's uh, after the first four chapters, it, it's all future and it's looking at events that are going to occur and you're kind of staying on task. Uh, Daniel uh, has future, it has past, uh, it has all these different kings and kingdoms and all these historical events that you're looking back at, all these dates that you're bringing out, all of these personalities and, and these events that occurred, and uh, a significant number of you don't like history anyway, and I'm not, I'm not uh, throwing you under the bus, I'm just saying based on, uh, you know, statistics, a lot of people don't care for history. Is it, are, are some of y'all in that camp? You just history is not your, your deal? But yet, as we've seen in Daniel, boy, it really, if, you, if it is, if you'll make it your deal, then you'll understand a lot more about it and be amazed at how God works and moves and answers uh, just uh, in amazing ways uh, to show us that he truly is God, that he is on his throne, and that he is moving uh, this thing to a conclusion. As I uh, said, I think at least once during the course of this series, uh, one of the things that we should have learned is that history is really his story. Uh, that's what we're learning, that God is on his throne and he is moving. Today we are in Daniel chapter 12. And uh, Lord willing, we are going to get all the way through Daniel chapter 12. And we really have to one way or the other. Because next week we kick off a brand new uh, series called The Deceptive Cons. And we'll be looking uh, for a few weeks at some of the deceptions that are out there in the world that, uh, that, that people fall for. Uh, and we'll start next week with, with kind of the, a really big one, the deception that some people uh, propagate that there really is no evidence that, that there really even is a God, that a God even exists. There's no evidence that God exists. Uh, well, we're going to look at that and see whether there actually is evidence to support the idea that God is, and we'll look at, at some other subjects as well. But we're in Daniel chapter 12. You can open your Bible if you've got a copy of it, uh, hard copy, digital, uh, up on the screen as well. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Now, at the time, uh, Michael, uh, by the way, at the time, if you were to back up in in chapter 11 there, it's it's moved into this reference to the end time or the last days. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, 
will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred. Let me read that again. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel... Conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, And the abomination of desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. And then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Today, I want to walk through with you uh, as quickly as I can, and some of them we won't take as much time with as others. But I, walk, I want to walk with you through uh, what I would call six results of the book of Daniel. Um, it, this Sort of looking overarching at the book of Daniel total, but, but really what comes out of chapter 12 and out of those verses that kind of, uh, in, in my mind, kind of summarizes and, uh, and encapsulates a message that has, that has been coming throughout Daniel. There, there's been specifics of the message, you know, that are in each of the chapters, but, but this overarching message that, that is coming through in the book of Daniel really is kind of brought to the forefront, in my mind, is really brought to the forefront in uh, chapter 12. So six results of uh, the book of Daniel uh, from Daniel chapter 12, and let's start with this one this morning. Uh, here, here's the first result. There will be a rescue. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> There will be a rescue. Uh, in verse 1, in, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing in. I'll, I'll touch on different parts of it. But verse 1 begins to talk about uh, this time of distress that's coming. This time of distress that has, like has never occurred. And in the context of Daniel, if you've been with us in this study, you know that the, the, the prophetic events uh, point to are aimed primarily at the nation of Israel. That's right. That, that most of it is aimed at the nation of Israel for an understanding for them on how God was going to deal with them. It has application for us, has application for the whole world. But he's, in the context, it's, it's the nation of Israel that, that he's focusing on. And so he says that this time of great distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. What nation? The nation of Israel. That there is coming this time of great distress. We've talked about it already. We've looked at it in chapter 9 and in chapter 11 and perhaps in some other places, but it's referring to that day that we sometimes refer to as the great tribulation period. It is uh, that, if if you've been in this study, it is that 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Remember? Remember the the breakdown, the the three-part breakdown of the 70 weeks? 
And, and the, the first uh, 69 weeks all, all occurred, and then there was this big gap that was the church age, what we're living in now. And then comes the 70th week. It's coming at some point. This is what Daniel is referring to in chapter 12. It's the 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. It is a seven-year, literal seven-year period of time that will take place at the end of time just before the return of Jesus Christ to earth. Can I get an amen? I may ask for that a lot today. I don't know. (laughs) That will take place just before the return of Jesus Christ to earth. Now, recently I received a QA, and a a question that uh, was, that is pertinent to this study we've been doing on the end times and on the tribulation period and all that kind of stuff. So I thought the best way to deal with that question would be uh, to deal with it in, in today's message. So here was the Q&A question I received a few weeks ago. It says this, when you say that you believe after the peace treaty is signed and we begin the last seven years of Daniel's prophecy, the church won't be here. That's what I said a, a few weeks ago. What do you mean exactly? Do you think God will take us to be with him then? Or that the church will just totally fall apart. The church will just, just kind of disappear. All right, so I wanted to kind of address that because I, I need to be uh, as clear as I can be. And I'm not always as clear as I probably uh, should be. But uh, I believe, and, and I should say not, not myself only, but anyone who holds to what is referred to as a pre-tribulational view. That's, that's the term, that's the, that's the theological term that's, that's used when discussing uh, end time or eschatological events, end time events, a pre-tribulation, a before-tribulational view. Anyone who holds to that view believes that the church, those uh, who have committed their life to Jesus Christ from the time he went back to heaven, rose again and went back to heaven, until uh, the end time, until, until the, the tribulation period begins, until that time, that is the church age and, and and the pre-tribulational view holds that all of those people, many have died and are in the ground. Those and those who are still alive, the, the church will be caught up, will, will go up to heaven. Will literally disappear from this earth, will go up to heaven, will be snatched up. Uh, we'll look at 1 Thessalonians 4 in a little while. Uh, we'll be snatched up, caught up to meet the Lord in the air, as it says there. We'll go to heaven. We'll spend the tribulation period time, just to clarify. We'll spend the seven years of tribulation period in heaven, awaiting uh, God finishing his dealing with, with uh, uh, rebellious man and finishing his plans for the nation of Israel, that 70th week. And at the finish of that, he will return to establish his kingdom on earth and his, and his bride, the church, will uh, accompany him with that. We'll come back at that time, but we will, we will not be here. That's a pre-tribulational view. Got it? Not everyone holds to that view. Not, there, there are other views. There is also what is known as a mid-tribulational view. You can probably guess what that is. But those who hold to a mid-tribulational view believe that the church, the body of believers, those that are alive... Uh, at when, when this event occurs, they will go into the tribulation period. They will live through the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. But then, halfway in, three and a half years, they will then be uh, raptured out, snatched out, taken out, and will go to heaven at that time. That's the mid-tribulational view. Um, and then, there are those that hold to a post-tribulational view. After tribulation, that it is their conviction that the church doesn't get to get out of this one, the church doesn't get a pass on the tribulation period, that the church will have to go through it like everybody else, and that the church will not get raptured out, the church will stay here, it will go through the tribulation period, terrible time of persecution, many people will be killed for their faith during that time, but the church will go through that period of time and, and not get to, to escape it. Arguments can be made uh, for each person in each position, they, they have arguments that they can raise, um, but it is, it is my conviction that the church, as I said a moment ago, which is referred to symbolically as the bride of Christ, will not have to go through the tribulation period, that it will be taken out prior to the tribulation uh, period. And, and I'll say this, that my, uh, my study in the book of Daniel has done nothing but reinforce that idea to me. Because as I study the book of Daniel, 
what I see is, uh, especially when we, when we look at those 70 weeks and that, that particular section of the study, it, it appears to me that, that God clearly makes a distinction between the nation of Israel and, and the church. Now, they're, they're all, they may all be part of his family, they may all be, but there's a distinction. And he deals with Israel differently than the way he deals with the church as far as his, his overall plans. You understand? Uh, so, you know, that, that's just my conviction on that, and that's, that's where I... I think it is. I think that the church will be uh, rescued prior to the tribulation period. Now, um, back to the rescue of Israel. Uh, it, it says in verse 1, again, that this uh, a time of distress such as never occurred. That word distress um, comes from a Hebrew word that, uh, that basically means to narrow. Uh, in other words, the picture is a squeezing, a squeezing in the pressure that is, that is felt from something being narrowed. That's what will happen to the nation of Israel, particularly during the second half of the tribulation period. That there will be this squeezing down of uh, Israel. It will feel this pressure as a result of persecution that comes on it through this person known as the Antichrist. The Antichrist... Uh, will will come on the scene uh, during this this tribulation period. Like I said, I think the church has gone here. By the way, I should say this, that I believe, uh, this is, again, this is my, just as I look at Scripture and and as I think through this issue, I believe that it actually will be the rapture of the church, the snatching out of the church that will be the catalyst that brings the Antichrist to power. Because because in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, there, there there are millions of Christians on the earth. We're a minority, there's no question about that, but there are millions uh, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Christians on the earth. Um, and if some guy starts coming on and he said, you know, we're not going to be real happy about that. Uh, so how does that, so it's my conviction that, that when the Antichrist, uh, that when the rapture occurs and millions of people suddenly disappear from the earth, that it will throw the earth into total and utter chaos. I mean, think about it. I mean, it will be a lot of people. We are a minority, but it will be a lot of people. By the way, do you know that it's estimated that in, uh, in China, and, and, the, and the church is underground in China for the most part, the, the evangelical church that, that promotes the idea of being born again, have to have a relationship with Jesus, that sort of thing, um, that, that, type, that Christianity is illegal uh, in China, and so much of the church works underground. So it's hard to track the numbers, uh, but I had a, a missionary in China told me that it's estimated that there are more believers in China today than there are people living in America. Not just Christian to Christian. Our population is about 300 million. It's estimated there are more than 300 million believers in China uh, today. So when, 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 when hundreds of millions of people suddenly vanish from the earth, hey, and, and most of them will be just normal people like us, right? Just everyday people. They're like, hey, what happened to, what happened to that guy? I don't know. I haven't seen him in a while. A while. Uh, around in a while, I don't know. It doesn't matter. So for most of us, it won't be, be that big a deal. But there'll be some people probably in some significance. There may even be a few politicians that go, I don't, I don't know for sure, but there might be. My, my, a few pastors might even go. I, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I, it's my conviction that when that happens, they'll just, the world will be in upheaval. They'll just be, what in the world's going on? Da, 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 da. And, and this political uh, person, this person who will be in a position, already be in a position of some political power, he will come on the scene, he will be a magnetic personality, he will be a, 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 have a commanding presence, and he will bring in a sense of peace, he'll bring in a sense of calm, he'll have organization, he'll have an explanation for what happened to all of us that are suddenly gone, and the world will line up under him, they'll flock to line up under this guy because, because he's, he, he looks like he's got, he knows what we're doing, he's got, that makes sense, he's got it under control, let's, let's follow this guy. That's, that's my conviction. I think it's actually the rapture that will, that will make the perfect uh, scenario for him to come uh, to power all of a sudden. But anyway, back to Israel and, uh, and, and their rescue. Uh, they're squeezed down. The Antichrist uh, makes a peace treaty with them. We saw that in chapter 9, verse 27. He makes a peace treaty with them. 
uh, he, he guarantees them peace, which is what Israel's been looking for, uh, you know, since they came back into existence in 1948. Uh, give us peace. He'll give them peace. He'll allow them to rebuild their temple. By the way, you do know there is no Jewish temple right now, right? There is no Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Uh, on the spot of where the Jewish temple uh, sat sits a Muslim mosque. The rock of the, the Dome of the Rock is there. And so I don't know what's going to happen, but it's got to go somewhere. Uh, between now and the time that, that this peace treaty is signed because uh, he is going to allow them to rebuild their temple. He's going to allow them to restore the daily sacrifice and everything's going to be hunky-dory, as I said, uh, I think, last week. But about three and a half years into it, he'll, this guy, this political leader, this great magnanimous leader, he will show himself for who he really is. He will, he will cut off the daily sacrifice. He will erect a, an image, a statue of himself in the temple. And he will demand that Israel and the whole world, for that matter, he will demand that the whole world bow down and worship him, not, not just see him as their leader anymore, but as their God. That will be the triggering of Israel's rebellion against him. And he will bring the hammer down on Israel. It's my conviction that he'll try and make an make a, a, a example out of Israel. Because if he can get Israel, if he can't get Israel right there, right where his temple is, where his image is, if he can't make them bow down and worship him, how's he going to get the rest of the world uh, to do it? And they will rebel against him. Now, uh, by the way, if, if you've been in this study and you've been paying really close attention and you say, wow, some of that sounds really familiar. There was another guy that, uh, that, that came in and, and he stopped the worship in the temple and he set up an idol and, and he wanted people to worship him for God. That, that sounds awfully familiar. If that sounds familiar, it should uh, because a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, remember we've talked about him a few times, did the exact same thing. Uh, stop the daily sacrifice, set up an image in the temple, and demanded that the people worship him as God. Because the similarities are so striking, some people have said, well, that's what Daniel is talking about here. He's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. That's a historical event as well. That's not future. We know that it, that it is not historical and that it is future because, for one thing, uh, Daniel keeps making reference to the end time. Keeps making reference to that. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, performed his atrocities against the nation of Israel over 2,200 years ago. It certainly was not the end time. A second, Antiochus Epiphanes never signed a peace treaty, as this clearly says that this guy does in, in chapter 9, verse 27, and, and in Revelation and other places. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes historically never signed a peace treaty with Israel. He just came in, took over control, and said, this is what you're going to do. You're not going to worship your God anymore. You're not going to have a temple. You're not going to do all this stuff anymore. I'm going to be your God. But third, and most importantly, the reason we know, and here's what I'm getting to, the reason why we know that this, this rescue is future and not historical is because Jesus himself said that it was. Uh, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 24, part of what's known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus talks about the end times. Let's look what he says. He says, therefore, watch what he says. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet. We've read about that, right? When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, and there's this parenthetical phrase, let the reader understand. In other words, I think he's saying this, don't, don't automatically think, of the, that first abomination that took place in the temple. Let the reader understand. Watch this. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things out, of the, out that are in his house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Because it, you, can't, it's, it's, you can't just... Those of you that have young children, do you just pick up and go in three minutes? No, it's amazing to me the stuff y'all carry these days. But anyway, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter when it would be harder or on Sabbath when Jews aren't supposed to travel. For then there will be a great tribulation. Listen to what Jesus says. A great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. Sounds like what Daniel says, doesn't it? Nor ever will. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, the Jews, those days will be cut short. Now, how does that prove that that's future and not past? Well, because historically, Antiochus Epiphanes lived on earth before Jesus. So Jesus came along later. So when Jesus describes this scene, it must not be Antiochus. It must not be 
historical, it must be a future event that will happen. And in, in verse 1, it, it goes on to say, And there will be stress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. That's that last part I want to, want to point out to you. Everyone, oh, so what I want you to notice. Everyone who is written in the book will be rescued. It's, re- it's referring to the book of life. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, 32, 32, Psalm uh, 69, uh, 28, uh, Revelation uh, 13, 8, Revelation 20, uh, 20, uh, 20 uh, I don't know, somewhere looking there, and then Revelation 21, 21, uh, 27, I think. It all makes reference to this book of life. Here's the point. Notice he says, all those who are written in the book will be rescued. Here's what I want you to understand. Because sometimes people say, well, did God treat Israel differently than, than, than treats everybody else as far as salvation is concerned? No. Salvation, ladies and gentlemen, is still the same way. It's everyone who still comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Jew, Gentile, it's all the same. They have to come through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but at the name of Jesus. So it doesn't matter who it is, it's still through Jesus Christ. But what we know happens from this and other passages is is in the latter days, there will be, Israel will realize what a mistake they made. They'll suddenly realize that Jesus, how all that happens but they'll realize that Jesus really was their Messiah, their Savior. Look at this passage in uh, Zechariah. Uh, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that, watch this, they will look on me whom they have pierced. Who does that sound like? They will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourned for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. So there will, be a, there will be a national revival. Will every Jew be saved? I, I don't know. I don't think so uh, because it still comes down to a heart issue. But there apparently will be a, a national revival and, and many, many Jews will come to faith in Jesus Christ in this latter days as a result of this tribulation period, the persecution they face, all that kind of stuff. God will use that to bring uh, millions of Jews into a relationship with him. Uh, so the point is, there will be a rescue. That's, that's the takeaway for you and me. I know it's a lot on that first one, but, but I just wanted to get, there will be a rescue, ladies and gentlemen. Whether, whether the church gets to go uh, before the tribulation, whether we have to go through the tribulation. By the way, if, somebody, if, if, if I'm still here and the, and the uh, Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel and the tribulation period begins, will, will I lose my faith? No, absolutely not. If, if, I, if I happen to be wrong about that, my understanding of the church being taken out, well, all, all that'll, that'll just show, well, God's right on time, and I've got exactly seven years. I better, I better keep on being busy and better keep trying to reach as many people as I can. It's going to be a terrible time, not going to be a lot of fun, but, uh, but we've got seven years till Jesus comes back. So it's not going to change my perspective as far as what uh, we're to do. The point is, there's going to be a rescue. Can I get an amen? Second, there will be a resurrection. Uh, The first part of verse 2 says this. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Watch this. These to everlasting life. Uh, The Bible is full of this this idea of, this promise of uh, everlasting or eternal life. And this promise, this idea of a resurrection of the body to come back to life. It is... It is throughout the Bible. By the way, it's, it's in most cultures of the world as well. There's this, this understanding of afterlife and coming back, all this kind of stuff is taught in most of the cultures of, of the world. But the Scripture teaches it. Uh, it's a little more clear in the New Testament perhaps than it is in the Old Testament, but there's no question that Old Testament saints believe that someday they would uh, see a resurrection. Watch this. Let me give you a few verses. And uh, there's quite a few verses we're going to look at, but it's important because... Because it's good to know what's going to happen. In Job 19, uh, Job says, uh, watch this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Isn't that amazing? Job, by the way, uh, most uh, Bible experts believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible, written uh, during, he was a uh, contemporary of Abraham. Uh, most people consider it the oldest book written in the Bible. It doesn't record the oldest events, but, 
that it's the oldest book itself. Uh, my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. That's what the idea of the resurrection. Now, we always ought to get pumped about that and think, yes, yes. Now, you know what? I know what it is. I know what it is. When, when, you're, when, when you're 15 or 22 or whatever, what's the big deal? Pretty happy with the one I got. I'm looking, you know, I'm looking pretty good. I'm all right with that. Yeah, yeah. Wait till you're 40. Wait till you're 50. Wait till you're, some of us a little older. We know what, it, we know, and, and that idea of, of a resurrected body, a resurrected state, whatever all that means, that begins to sound pretty good. <laughs> all right, uh, here we go. Let's look at another one. Psalm 17. Uh, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness. When I awake, when I, when I awake from the, the dead. Uh, Psalm 71, uh, you have shown me many troubles and distresses uh, and distresses will revive me again. You who have shown me will revive me again and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Sounds like resurrection, doesn't it? Sure does. All right, uh, so we've got some Old Testament. Now let's look at some New Testament ones. Uh, John chapter five, do not marvel. Jesus said, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. We'll get to that in just a minute. John uh, 11. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Watch this. Martha said to him, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So see, there's a clear understanding that, this, that the grave is not going to be the end. That there's something more uh, past that. And then in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is, pro- is, is the resurrection chapter, if you want to label it that. Uh, let's look at a few passages. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. By the way, all in Christ that's it, will be made alive. Okay, that's what it's referring to. First uh, Corinthians 35, 15, 35, 38. But someone will say, how are the dead raised, right? I mean, that's impossible. How, how are the dead uh, raised? And what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable, a mortal, a fleshly, uh, corrupted, uh, sin-cursed body. It is sown a perishable body, but it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. One more. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. See see this case Paul's building for the resurrection? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be, say, say that word, changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. (laughs) Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul's taunting death. Paul's na-na-na-na boo-booing death. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, watch this. As a result of that, since you know you're gonna get a resurrected body, here it is, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You don't give up. You get tired, sure you get tired. You get weary, sure you get weary. You get injured, sure you get injured. You get hurt, all the stuff goes on, but you be steadfast, immovable, continuing in the work, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And then uh, that, that great text in 1 Thessalonians 4, I made reference to a while ago, Uh, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, and that is what we believe, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we believe he rose again, right? 
Since we believe that Jesus died and raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Take away for us, there is going to be a resurrection. Uh, I, I admit to you, I'm not sure exactly how all that takes place or what that means or to its full extent, except that I know that it, that it does mean that someday we will have a literal, physical, new body, a resurrected body. There will be a resurrection. Third, there will be a reckoning in that, that second part of, of verse 2, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now, notice this. Uh, notice that Paul or, or that the, uh, Daniel makes a distinction between those who are on God's team, for lack of a better term, and those who are not. He, he seems to draw this distinction. He separates them. But notice also that he uses that, that word everlasting to describe the destiny of both groups. Do you see that? He uses everlasting to describe both groups. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that is, in my opinion, this is part, at least part of what it means in Genesis chapter 1 when it says that we are created in the image of God. What all that means, you know, you can talk about a lot of stuff, but I think at least part of what it means to be created in the image of God means that we are eternal creatures. Now, God is the ultimate eternal. God had no beginning. God has no end. You and I had a beginning, right? We did. We were, we were birthed. We were born. We had a beginning. But because we are created in the image of the eternal God... Once created, we have no end. And we will spend eternity in one of two places. That's what Scripture teaches. Now, I know this is the part people don't like to hear. I know this is the part that people don't like to believe. I mentioned last week that we live in a culture that says that it's my life and, 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 and my choices and I can live it any way I want and I can do anything I want and I can do it any time I want, any way I want, and nobody has the uh, right to tell me any differently. Right? Along with that self-absorbed, narcissistic lifestyle is the belief that because it's my life and because they're my choices and because no one has the right to tell me differently, then there's no accountability. I don't have to answer to anybody. As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, it's my business. Live and let live is the mantra of today, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think think anybody would argue with that. Live and let live is the mantra of today. Now, besides the fact that they are hurting people, a person that chooses a lifestyle opposite of God or contrary to what God has taught or whatever, besides the fact that they are hurting, namely themselves, because they're rebelling against God. But besides that fact, that, that philosophic lifestyle that I have the right to choose what I want, when I want, how I want, and nobody else can tell me how to do it, that, listen to me, I, I've lived long enough to know that this is true, that lifestyle it will inevitably will lead our culture to, to utter and complete moral chaos. That, that's where it will lead us. That's where it is leading us, quite honestly. But the truth is, God's word is clear. Every person is responsible to God. Let me give you the passage, and, and then, then, we'll, then we'll, we'll, we'll go on to the next one. Hebrews 9, chapter 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. It's just the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, uh, number uh, four, I think it is. There will be a reflecting. Let me just spend a moment on that in uh, verse three. It says, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Notice the, the twofold reference to, to the brightness of the stars and the, and the reflecting of the, of the stars. It, 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 this brilliance, this, this shine. Now, in its context of... Who's it about? The nation of Israel? In its context, it's probably referring to the 144,000 Jews, uh, Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14, the 144,000 Jews who come to faith in Christ at the very beginning of the tribulation period, 
They recognize that they were wrong. They come to faith, and then they go out. As I explained it, we went through Revelation. Some of you may have been here may remember that. It'll be like 144,000 Billy Grahams turned loose uh, on the world, and they will go out to, uh, to spread the gospel. And many people will come to faith in Christ during that uh, period of time. They will shine brilliantly uh, like the hosts of heaven, like the stars of heaven. Uh, let me just say for us, the, the takeaway for us, uh, the greater the darkness the more visible the light is. The greater the darkness, the more important the light is. The greater the darkness, the more visible the light is. You and I don't live in the great tribulation period yet. It's going to be a very dark time, and they're going to shine brilliantly, and they're going to lead many people. They're going to point people to the source of the light. But for you and I, we still live at a time where more and more uh, darkness is, is creeping over uh, this land. It's not Middle Earth and the whole, you know, but... It's darkness is still creeping over the land, and you and I have an obligation to be light in this world. And that's, that's tough, right? That's not easy. More and more, uh, we're being told to sit down and shut up. Uh, you know, I, I'm just, that's what we're, you know, what we are. We're being told to sit down and shut up, and uh, militant atheists and secular humanists have done a marvelous job of convincing people that God, if he has any you know, bearing at all. If he even exists or has any bearing, uh, he's really not concerned with your life, really has nothing to do with your everyday life, and so you don't need him, don't pay any attention to him. And if you Christians, if you want to talk about Jesus, fine. Talk about Jesus in the church house. You want to sing songs uh, to Jesus and about Jesus, fine. Sing songs to and about Jesus in the church house. You want to pray, fine. Pray in the church house. You want to to put up a, a... Christmas scene, a manger, and fine, do it in the churchyard. <laughs> There's, we're called to reflect, right? Here it is, Matthew uh, chapter 5. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's our call. We're called to reflect his light, ladies and gentlemen. And it would be silly to put a light under a bush, under a basket to hide it. That's stupid. Nobody would do that. No, you, that's the whole point of lighting the light is so people can see the light. That's our call. No matter whether people like it, no matter what people want us to, whether, we, we, we're called to be light. All right. Uh, number five, real quick. There will be a rebellion. Uh, there's this conversation that goes on and uh, by the way, let, let me just say this. Uh, in verse 4, um, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end time. Uh, in my opinion, New American Standard could have done, used a better choice of words when they used the term conceal. Not that it's wrong, uh, but it, I think it can kind of get us off track. Uh, the word really means to close up. Daniel, close up the book because you're finished. There's no, there's no more revelation that I'm going to give through you, Daniel. So go ahead and close up the book. For the book to be sealed uh, in that day, remember, they weren't books. They were scrolls. They were written on scrolls that were rolled up. And, a, and the, the writer at the end would, would put a seal on the scroll when he finished it, uh, officially endorsing the writing as accurate and true and, and from his hand. So in other words, God's not trying to keep this stuff from us. He's not trying to keep people from knowing this stuff. As a matter of fact, he's been trying to get this message out for, for a long time. But what he's saying is, Daniel, you're done. Your, your part is finished in this. You've, you've done everything you needed to do. Now you can close it up. But what we do see is that, that especially down all the way down in verse uh, uh, 10, many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. The, this, this is the state of rebellion. There will always be, from now till Jesus comes, or always has been, there, there will always be this state of rebellion. And that makes it tough for us who, who, who live in this world and try and say that God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. And there will always be those who want to rebel against that. But you and I have to understand it's what we're, we're called to do, to be that light, to shine, and just to recognize that there, there's going to be rebellion. It's not going to be always people that are just, oh, yeah, I want to follow Jesus and I'm in love with God. And there's always going to be a state of rebellion. That's going to continue on in this uh, one other uh, reference in there, that little phrase where he says, uh, uh, many will go back and forth. This is at the end of verse 4. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Different ideas about what all that means. But can I tell you this? I am in agreement 
with uh, the Bible commentator H.A. Ironside that that is a, that is a little prophetic marker of, of how things will look in the end times. In other words, Daniel, close up the book. You're finished. You're done. Men have had this book for 2,000 years. They've had this knowledge available to them. But yet men ignore this book, ignore these prophecies, and instead go looking for knowledge anywhere and everywhere they can. And this, specifically this reference of increase in knowledge. I'm, for me, I'm convinced that this is an indicator of how it will be in the last days, that there will be an increase in knowledge on the earth. Wow. If ever that described a time, it describes the time today. Now, some of you that are young or, like I said, those of you that hate history, you don't care about this. But one of the things you need to understand, one of the things you guys need to understand is that for thousands and thousands of years, basically nothing changed on the earth. I mean, you know, there was advancements and we gained knowledge. But, until listen, my granddad died uh, in 1996. The day I left for seminary, my grandfather died. He was 98 years old. In his lifetime... We went from horse and buggy to putting men on the moon and, and r- routine trips into space through the, the shuttle program. In one lifetime. That is, that is insane because for thousands of years, the, the only means of transportation, certainly the fastest means of transportation that existed in the world, was the horse. That was it. Now people have horses for recreational purposes. That has, that has been a dramatic change. In, in our lives, in this increase in knowledge. And beginning, it really in the, in the Industrial Revolution of the 19th century through today, it's amazing. I was reading this thing that said, I know I've got to give you the last one, we'll go, but I was reading this thing that said that, um, that before the 19th century, knowledge doubled about every 150 years. So in other words, about, it took about 150 years for, for enough, uh, for, for whatever mankind knew on the earth, to, for there to be twice as much of new, new discoveries, uh, new inventions, whatever all that would be. 150 years, you got me? 150 years to double knowledge. Today, they estimate that knowledge doubles every, uh, just slightly over every one year. I read this thing, it said by 20, uh, and I came, either 2017 or 2020, it's estimated that knowledge will double every 72 days. We truly are living in the information age. Now, is that, is that, a, is that pointing to the fact that we may be living in the very last days before the return of Christ? I'll let you decide that. I, I just, I'm packed. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm packed. I'm, I'm ready. Okay, and then one more. Here we go. Uh, and then last, and here, here's the, here, here it is. There will be a reward. Can I hear an amen? There will be a reward. Got to close out here. I know it's time to go, but there will be a reward. Verse 11, uh, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Now, uh, let, me, let me just say this. Uh, the 1,290 days and the 1,335 days, y'all want to know what, that, what those are symbolic of? Not a clue. Can't tell you. Nobody knows. That's the truth. I, nobody seems to know what the 1290 days and 1335 days points to. I'm telling you, I, I got to research this and I looked at it. Nobody, I mean, people, there's a few guesses and people make speculations, but nobody seems to know what is the 1290 days and 1335 days. God apparently did not think that significant for us to know. It will have significance for the people living in those last days and specifically for the Jews, I'm assuming. But we really don't know. Uh, some people speculate that there was a, that there's a, a, a 30 day difference because if you're thinking, well, 1290, is that three and a half years? Like, no, on a Jewish calendar, uh, 1260 days would be 300, uh, three and a half years. And that's too obvious by the way, to be a mistake. So, I mean, they, so it's not a mistake. It could be that there's a separation between the time he stops the sacrifice and the time he sets up his aisle. I don't know. We just don't know. 1,335 days, I'm guessing. I'm thinking that's probably the day that when there'll be some kind of big coronation service. I'm just believing this is coming, folks. A coronation service when Jesus, he's returned. He, he, he puts down the armies at the Battle of Armageddon. He establishes his kingdom. And I think there'll be some sort of big coronation or celebration service as the people of God gather together and celebrate uh, the Lamb who is the King of Kings and on his throne finally established his throne here on this earth. But I don't know. Nobody knows for sure about those uh, two dates. But this is what I know, and this is what God wanted us to know, that there is a reward for those who are faithful uh, to to knowing, 
following, serving, and sometimes even suffering for the Lord God. What a great way for the book to end for Daniel. After all that he had experienced, after all the trials he'd been through, after all the kings he had served, what a great way for this to end for Daniel. But as for you, go your way to the end, and then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. It really sounds kind of similar to the word that Jesus gave to his disciples in the, in the parable of the talents. He says this, the master answered, you did well, you are a good and loyal servant. Because you are loyal with small things, I will let you care for much greater things. Come and share my joy with me. The end of the age. And then finally in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, for I am, this is Paul's, almost the last words he wrote. It was the last letter he wrote just before he was executed. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith in the future. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Our call is to stand firm, not in our own power, not in our own strength, not trying to be a good Christian, but to stand firm in the power of God as He works in our hearts and our lives. And if we'll do that, if we'll be faithful to, to, to stand on His truth and to, and to love people unconditionally and to, and to share His message and to do all that we can, if we will do that, no matter hard times, trials, persecutions, difficulties, whatever the case may be, if we will do that, God's word is clear. Not just, not just in those verses, but many others. God's word is clear that our reward, whatever all that will be, our reward will be waiting there for us when we get there. That's an unbreakable promise of God. Amen. And thanks, Pastor. As we just heard Pastor Clay say, what a great way to end our study in the great Old Testament book of prophecy. We've seen time and time again as God's predictions through Daniel came true exactly as God said they would. That gives us the utmost confidence that the events that are still in the future as we looked at today will come true just as accurately. Like Daniel, if we will be faithful while we are here, then we can fully expect to be rewarded by God when we get there. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.